0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone here, those that call Radiant Life home. To our visitors, it's awesome. We are in part two of our teaching series titled Guardrails, and I've titled this message Bringing Sexy Back. So turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to church this morning. Some of you right now, you're like, I totally wanted to say that. I've I've been wanting to say bring sexy back, but... uh, Hey, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about intimacy and relationships and sex this morning. Last week, we talked about just a foundation of why we need guardrails. What are guardrails? Why do we need them in our lives? And um, I'm, I'm excited. This is a four-part series, so this will be halfway through. And then we got Father's Day next week, and then we'll wrap up this series on the 24th. I believe that's the correct date. And then we'll start in June, or I'm sorry, in July, our summer uh And I wrote the messages this past week for, for my parts of the series, and I was getting goosebumps as I was writing them. I'm like, these are awesome. I am going to Bible geek out for my portions of those teachings on you, okay? Like, your brain is going to hurt a little bit, okay? <laughs> they in some of my, I'm so excited to deliver them. We're going to look at a couple different things, but one story in particular, I think it's the craziest story in the entire Bible. We're going to look at that, like, how does this even apply to us? I'm excited. So turn your neighbor and say, get ready. Turn your other neighbor and say, giddy up. We like that word, right? Hey, let's quickly review from last week, since we were in part two of guardrails. Here's what a guardrail is. It's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limits areas. Dangerous or off-limit areas. And we said, basically, they're designed for two uh, reasons. Two reasons why we have guardrails. They're there to direct and what, friends? protect. Direct you and protect you. Think about this. We are so thankful that on that very tight curve in the mountains, and there's that cliff right there, that that guardrail is there to direct my vehicle to make sure I don't go outside that lane and to protect me from falling off that cliff. Guardrails are there to direct and protect. And the placement of guardrails is always in the safety zone. A few feet or inches into the safety zone, that's where guardrails are placed. Because if not, if they're already placed in the danger zone, it's too late. That's why it's called the danger zone. And none of us on the street sit there and go, I wish the county would have given me those six extra inches on the road. We don't. We're just thankful. So they're placed in the safety zone. And we said guardrails are really designed to minimize damage. We may experience some damage when we hit that guardrail, but it's a lot better to do minimized damage than the damage that would really happen if that guardrail wasn't there and we went off the cliff. Now, some of us, we sit back and say, hey, in my life, I really wish I had guardrails, because I believe we would have fewer regrets in our lives if we actually put guardrails into place. We may have fewer regrets when it comes to relationships. We may have fewer regrets when it comes to our finances and our money. We may have fewer uh, regrets morally and maybe in our businesses or in the classroom that if we just had some guardrails in our lives to keep us on the road and the path that we're to travel and be on. And one of the major points of a guardrail is to make you and I feel uneasy when? Early. Early. So when we're on the straight and narrow and we're on the path that God has for us and we feel like, oh man, I'm veering off a little bit and we feel this, it's the Holy Spirit inside us saying, hey, don't do that. Don't take that extra step. And we realize, yes, thank you that I'm feeling a little uneasy because if we feel uneasy late, it's too late. The idea is to make you feel uneasy early. And the difficult thing is if you're gonna put personal guardrails in your own life, The difficult thing is culture will not celebrate you. They won't. It's not celebrated that you have personal guardrails. In fact, what culture will do is shame you and mock you when you go off the cliff morally. When you go off the cliff in your relationships. When you go off the cliff financially, they will shame you and mock you, but culture will not encourage you either to put up personal guardrails in your life. This morning, I want to talk to all of us about this idea of relational guardrails, these moral guardrails that we have in our relationships, specifically this morning when it comes to intimacy and sex in relationships. And we're going to talk about one word that you normally don't hear a lot anymore. This one word is fidelity, which means faithful and loyal. In our culture today, we entertain ourselves with a lot of things Like media, movies, and music that will glorify sex and glorify affairs outside of marriage. And we entertain ourselves and we think that's funny. But we are mortified when our friend has committed an affair. And we're mortified by that. But we'll entertain our thoughts and our thinking with media and music and movies that glorify this stuff. So this morning, if you got your Bible, if you got your tablet or phone, turn with me to the Newer Testament, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is where we'll be this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I truly believe in our time together, if we could get this one thing right, if our nation could get this one thing right, we would see less domestic violence, we would see less unwanted pregnancies in the world today. We would see less and less kids that don't have dads and moms at home anymore. If we can get this one thing correct, we would have less kids being in in foster cares in the adoption system if we can get this one thing correct. Now before we jump in, I want to ask you a question. If you were God and you were going to inspire someone to write about sex... What would you have them say? Would you say, hey, go for it. Have fun. Have as many partners as you can. You just got to explore it. Just do it responsibly. What would you say if you were God and you were going to inspire someone to write a letter about sex? In fact, this is where we get in 1 Corinthians. God has inspired a guy by the name of Paul to write to the church in Corinth. Paul's been there, he started the church there, his time there. In fact, we think he wrote four different letters to this church, and we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and they're not in that order. 2 Corinthians is probably the third or fourth letter that he wrote to the church. But God has inspired this guy 2,000 years ago to write to the church there, to the first time, first generation Jesus followers in Corinth, on what to do with intimacy and sex, And we have it 2,000 years later, and it's still moving and impacting our lives. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. This is the sentence and statement that every husband is hoping that that their wife lives out. This is a sentence that every wife is hoping deeply down inside that their husband lives out. This is the sentence that anyone who loves someone is living out in their lives, that they are fleeing from all sexual immorality. Here's our issue today. For a lot of us, we flirt with sexual immorality instead of fleeing from sexual immorality. Oh, Ryan, you're just being too harsh now, right? Come on, we can, what, what's a little flirting? Hang in there. Because then what Paul writes next is amazing about sexual sin. But I want to say real quick, there's an idea out there in culture today that, uh, that the church is against sex, that uh, Christians, those who follow Jesus are against sex. It can't be further from the truth, right? Our Heavenly Father created sex to be in the, in the covenant relationship and in marriage. It's a beautiful thing. We're not against it. It comes with high guidelines to it. And here's an amazing thing. I wondered if Jesus, or God was up there with Jesus, and he's hanging out with some angels, and he's like, hey, I've created Adam and Eve now. I'm going to give these two people an idea of what to do. And he's like, God's just laughing. He's like, dude, this is going to blow minds away And the angels are like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And God's like, you wouldn't understand anyways, right? This is only for humans, (laughs) right? It's created by our heavenly Father. It is to be awesome, and you are created to be an intimate being inside the confines of marriage, the covenant relationship of marriage. And then Paul goes on, and this is what he says. Not only I want you to flee from all sexual immorality, but then he says this, all other sins... So Paul says, hey, there's something different about this sexual sin because then there's all other sins. Well, Ryan, I thought a sin is a sin. Yes, a sin is a sin, but Paul's going to say there is something uniquely damaging about this sin that all other sins don't do. And he says this, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, But whoever sins what, friends? Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. It's different, it's unique, it's completely in its own category. What sexual sin will do to you, it will turn you into a liar and a secret keeper. It's radically different than all other sins. It will turn you into a liar and a secret keeper. And you know what we're good at? We'll admit other sins. We'll admit, you know what, I just had financial disaster, and I could not control my spending, but I had a file for bankruptcy, and I sinned. I knew I wasn't putting God first, and I had a file for bankruptcy, and we'll admit that sin. We'll admit sins in our lives of, you know what, I'm just really negative. I gossip a lot. Um, Can you keep me accountable? I need to stop that in my life. I just need to squish that sin. But when it comes to sexual sins, don't you dare look at my websites. Don't you dare tell me that flirting with my coworker that I'm leading to something. I don't dare tell my spouse what I'm doing at the workplace. I don't dare tell mom and dad what my boyfriend and I or my girlfriend and I are doing. Because sexual sin is in a category in and of its own self. And Paul's saying it is uniquely damaging because it will damage your own body. And it's like taking something that God has blessed. It says, you know, sex is good within marriage. And what's hurting your body is that you're taking something I've given you for the marriage covenant. And you're sitting there and divining it up between everyone. What I made whole for you, you're just giving it out. You're hurting you, and you're hurting other people. That is to be with you inside of marriage. And then he says, it's against your own body. You betray yourself when you divvy that up. You hurt other people when what I've given you is divvied up. It's a sin against your own body. And I want you to know that God isn't just a party pooper, a sex pooper up in heaven. That sounded weird. He's for sex. He designed sex. He created it within marriage. It comes with distinct guidelines, but he's saying it will hurt you. It will hurt you. And God loves you enough to share this with us 2,000 years ago to inspire Paul to write about sexual sin in our lives. And then Paul continues and he says this Do you not know? Do you not know? Because if you knew, you probably would avoid a lot of this sexual temptation in your life. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God. Do you not know? And what is so absolutely fascinating about this is Paul in one verse is saying, hey, flee from this stuff. It's not healthy in your life. you got to flee from it, and it is uniquely damaging like no other sin. And then the next verse later, what does he do? He talks about our identity. He goes from the consequences of this sin to reminding who you are. And you are a vessel of the presence of God. And that sin affects your body. Your body. Um, I, I have Pastor Josh's wallet. This is a great thing, by the way, to have someone else's wallet. And it's, it's got some money, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take out the money. I won't pocket the money. I'm gonna take out uh let's see if I can his cards. If you want to write this down, the first four digits are. <laughs> I'm taking out all of his all of his credit cards and, and everything, okay? So everything of value is really gone. Oh, you got a Starbucks gift card, man. I'll arm wrestle you for it. All right. Of value, significant value, is out of the wallet. Ian, you really want Josh's wallet? Why don't you want Josh's wallet? No money in it, it, right? All right, toss it back. So I'm going to take this. We're going to put everything back for Josh. Everything back. So let's, let's put the credit cards back in. You got your social security number in here too, Josh? All right, so three credit cards back in, plus he does have some loose bills. Now you want it? (laughs) Can you get me a a grande, uh, iced caramel macchiato, extra shot, so three espresso shots in there, skim milk, yeah, okay. Why does Ian want it now? Because what is inside is of value, and what God is speaking here is saying what's inside of you is valuable. You are the temple, temples of the Holy Spirit. It's what's inside of you that matters. You are the image bearers of your heavenly Father. There's value there. And when you commit sexual sin outside the confines of marriage, of the marriage covenant, you damage what's inside. And I don't want you to do that. You are more than that. And then he goes on and continues to write in verse 20. You are not your own. You were bought with the price, the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross who was beaten and flogged beyond all recognition, who took a crown of thorns and jammed it on his head and he's bleeding there for you. Went to the cross and had nails driven through his hands and his feet. You are valuable to God. Not this outside sex stuff that you think is going to fulfill you. It will temporarily be satisfying, but for all eternity, it means nothing. What's the most joyful thing in your life is that you are bought with a price. You are worth dying for. You are the vessel of God in this world. And then he says, therefore... In other words, in light of all your sexual past and sexual sins, in light of all your potential you think you personally have crushed in your life, therefore, honor God with your what, friends? With your bodies. Above everything else, honor God with your bodies. I often have sometimes... Uh, couples come into my office and they just want to share struggles. It's great to hear. It's great to realize, hey, we're all on the same page. Not every marriage is perfect. So you know what? I just don't get it because I feel like I'm doing everything God wants me to do. I'm drawing closer to him and I feel like but our intimacy is getting further apart or we're just not, we're not there like we used to be. And I draw the triangle with God at the head and then spouse, spouse here. And I said, hey, this is what happens in life. We've got two spouses and God's here. And as you draw closer to God, what is happening to the two spouses? You're drawing closer to each other. What so often happens is you'll see one spouse just spiritually on a high, drawing closer to God, and this spouse is okay being here your intimacy gap is big. Because when you're spiritually grooving, you'll be physically grooving. Go tweet that, all right? I'm telling you, when you're spiritually grooving, when the two of you are drawing closer to God, your physical intimacy will be set on fire. And if not, disprove me. I've never seen it. But when two couples are like, you know what, Ryan, thank you, because we are both doing God's word together every day, whether we're doing it together or separate, but man, our intimacy life, our sex life is off the rails, and I just want to jump up and give them a high five, right? You're doing it right, because sex is a beautiful thing inside the confines of the marriage covenant. But here's what I know for us. Paul's words a flee from all sexual immorality Fleeing requires guardrails. There are things in our lives that you and I have to put in place in order if we're really going to live out what Paul says, flee from all this damaging sin. This is a unique sin that you don't want to mess with. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt others. you got to flee from this. Fleeing requires guardrails. What's really cool is I I have a good friend who just wrote a book on pornography. And uh, if you don't have any filters on at home, parents, if you don't have any filters at home, and you have teens or other um, kids at home or whatever, you need to get filters on things, even if you think you're okay. Uh, CovenantEyes.com is probably the leading uh, people in that. Covenanteyes.com, my friend just wrote a book on pornography. And they are, CovenantEyes.com is launching a beta testing for men in small group. We've been asked as Radiant Life to join in on this beta testing group at Radiant Life on pornography issues in the church. So I'm excited. To, we're going to launch that soon this summer. And we're going to be part of the beta testing for CovenantEyes.com. It's so key. And you'll hear more about that later. But you have to put in guardrails in your life if you truly are going to flee from this sexual sin I'm going to invite Johnny and his wife Christy to come up and uh, Johnny's been Johnny filled in this morning for our worship leader JB who's who is gone this morning and uh, you guys did a phenomenal job leading the team and they're going to grab some chairs and they're going to share their testimony and some of the things that went on in their own oh good job They're going to share some of their testimony with us this morning, and uh, what went on in their marriage, and uh, it, I'm not going to say anymore. I don't want it to steal thunder, but uh, thank you, Bovies, for coming and filling in, and we've seen your face here and there, uh, helping J.B. in the worship here and there. Um, let, let, let's talk about your marriage. Let's talk about the very beginning of you guys getting married, To What you say you don't like calling it, but you truly experience the seven-year itch inside your marriage.
1: That's exactly right. So we've now been married 21 years, but let's rewind 21 years back to the very beginning. I'm a super outgoing, kind of high-energy person. You probably couldn't tell that. That's okay. We got married. Everything was great. Christy immediately got sick. She had mono. So she went from a normal energy type person to a zero energy type person, and I thought that's not what, that's not what I signed up for. This was this I didn't take this part of the vow, right? <laughs> Even though it said in sickness and in health, better for worse, right? So that was our beginning. That set the tone for really the first seven years of our marriage. Um, I was I was raised in the church, so it wasn't like I was a total heathen, but I was a slug as far as a spiritual leader of our home went. I didn't take any, um, I didn't make any effort to lead our home. So consequently, and she'll talk about this a little bit later, consequently she filled in that void, which is a real natural thing. and I think we see that in a lot of marriages where the husband is content not leading because the wife is perfectly capable, right? Most wives are capable of leading. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves but it's really biblically it's the man's job to lead the home. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that. She picked up the slack. Um we, you know it it snowballed. It that lack of energy, how many of you get home, you lay down for bed at night and you're you're tired. There's no let's say no energy for intimacy, right? When you have a sick spouse and I don't know if I'm going to share from the man's perspective because that's a perspective that I understand. I I don't claim to... We know you're a man, not a woman. Thank you. I don't claim to know a lot about how women think. But I know that the sex drive for me as a man is probably different than it is for her as a woman. I just think that's probably how it is. I don't know if I have empirical evidence for that or not. So... We're the same way. Lay down at night, no energy for intimacy. So I, I don't know, if that, that contributed to the seven year that we talked about earlier. I got bored. And so because I wasn't rooted and grounded and I had no guardrails, um, like it says back here behind us, I had no guardrails in place, I eked down a road and I kind of fell off of a cliff morally. That's what happened.
0: <laughs> All right, so you went off the cliff morally and it started with Yahoo Messenger. Yep. Anyone even remember Yahoo Messenger? I think dinosaurs roamed the earth at that time, but <laughs> Yahoo Messenger is where the really that was your first step off the cliff. Yeah, yeah, so
1: I ran into um, I actually met a lady at an Applebee's restaurant and uh, didn't know her. We just kind of struck up a conversation, and then we became Yahoo Messenger buddies, I guess is the term, right? You say Yahoo. Yahoo? Yahoo. How do you say it? Yahoo. Yahoo.
0: Yahoo. <laughs> okay, so that's
1: <laughs> what we, irrelevant.
0: well, I said irrelevant. That's all you're going to remember about this testimony yes. now? Is it Yahoo or Yahoo? Oh, we have failed. We have. Keep going. You're good. So,
1: we, we kind of, con- this lady and I kind of continued our relationship on on Yahoo. Pastor Ryan mentioned earlier about, oh, don't look at my websites, right? That's where I was. He's not making this stuff up. This is this is real. I was in the church. I didn't share this first service. I was actually on the worship team, so it wasn't like I was, um, again, I, I was in the church. That's my point. Nobody is immune to this. Don't think you are. If you don't have guardrails in place for yourself, um, you better get some. And so, what are some, I'm not going to jump ahead, we'll come back to this, but some of the guardrails that God has given us starts back in Exodus with the Ten Commandments. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's lands, houses, any of that stuff. Don't commit adultery. It's pretty black and white. Don't do those two things. If you think of a, the guardrails on the highway, right? before you get to the guardrails, you have rumble strips along the edge. You have solid lines. Or maybe a dashed line that are your lane markers, right? Mm-hmm. Think of those first two, the Ten Commandments, don't covet, don't commit adultery. Think of those as your, your lane markers. Stay in your lane. If that's not enough for you, and you want to veer off into the rumble strips, then you might have to do something like Job did in chapter 31 of the of the book of Job, where it says he made a covenant with his eyes not to look lustfully is the idea, not to look upon a young virgin. We've got to have men in this room. We have got to have guardrails, lane markers to keep us
0: where we need to be. So you struck up this relationship with this woman at Applebee's in Coldwater, which turned to Yahoo or Yahoo Messenger. And then this relationship transpired. Then you found, fast forward, now you find yourself at your friend's wedding with your wife, explain how now this is going to get played out. So, from Yahoo Messenger, it
1: went to this woman and I. Actually, we were meeting. Um, it became an adulterous affair at that point. On the night of my best friend from high school, his wedding, we had went there. We had a horrible time. Came home and I was done. I was done. So I told her, "This is going on. I'm moving out." So. That's what happened. I moved out. Um, That's the very abbreviated
0: version of what happened, but for sake of
1: time, that's what we'll do. Yeah.
0: And now you've moved out. You've got your own apartment at this time? No, I moved in with her. You moved in with this other woman. And um, as this relationship continued on with this other woman, you all of a sudden get a little sick. Yeah. So, So
1: I coached basketball, and I remember being at the school and just being horribly, horribly sick. And I was sick because my appendix was about to rupture. So we talked earlier about lane markers and rumble strips and guardrails. For me, the lane markers and the rumble strips didn't work. So God, in His mercy, really, it was His mercy, He allowed me to bounce my life off of that guardrail. My appendix was about to rupture. There was some damage. Pastor Ryan mentioned earlier, you hit a guardrail, there's going to be some damage, but it's going to minimize the loss. Okay? Okay. It, doesn't, it keeps you from going over the edge to certain death is what it does. Spiritually, that's what my ruptured appendix really did. It kept me from, from a spiritual death of being cut off and separated from, from my Creator. I'm really thankful that that happened. It's hard to say, oh, I'm thankful I had a ruptured appendix. But in the correct perspective, it was merciful.
0: Right. And then you find yourself in the hospital now.
1: I'm in the hospital Very first person I call is this lady right here. I'm like, I'm I'm really sick, I'm not sure what's happening. Can you come to the hospital? And she did.
0: (laughs) Which I mean I said that's that's amazing for you to not carry that bitterness into knowing what your husband was doing, but yet you show up at the hospital. What's going through your mind now seeing knowing what your husband has done to you? He's there sick and now you show up.
2: Well, from the start I had made vows and my my heart was committed to God and following what he was leading me in and I wasn't going to turn away from that. I when you get married and there's struggles, it's it goes it's a two-way thing, it's not just one person's fault. It wasn't just his fault that he, yeah, he made a horrible choice to commit adultery, but it started way before that choice. You know, we had, there were struggles. He had his own business and we struggled financially. He also coached basketball, so he was rarely home. We had two small children. And it was, it was just one struggle after another. And I was the nagging wife, I was. There was that never money, and he was never home, so I became that nagging wife that the scriptures speak very much against, and when he, when he left, I just had to realize that it wasn't all his fault. I was at fault for some of it, too, and I had to do a serious heart check, and I, I spent a lot of time in the Word reading and studying and praying and just saying, Father, show me where my heart is wrong. I need to fix some areas. Even if he decides to come back, there's got to be some areas that need fixed. And if he doesn't decide to come back, I still want to be a better person.
0: Can you? That's amazing that she's sitting here in this situation knowing what her husband did. Yes, there's other things that were in this. But Christy's heart is, God, change my heart. And I think that's hard, and that takes a lot of wisdom because for many of us, I think we'd say, God, it's their fault, change them. And yet she had the wisdom to say, God, you need to change in here first. And that's incredible.
2: I knew it needed to start with me, but when people would come and say, What can we do for you? my very first answer would be, Pray for his heart. Because the heart is the underlying issue of everything. The scriptures talk about how we wrestle with flesh and blood. But it's not the wrestle with that. It's principalities. The enemy is out to destroy marriages. And that's what the whole issue was about, was his heart and his soul being pulled away from the enemy. And so I through the whole time, I just tried my best to be obedient and seek the Father and what he wanted me to do. And there would be times where He would the phone would ring and I knew it would be him. And the Father would say, don't answer it. I don't want you to talk to him for this period of time. And it killed me, but I knew I needed to be obedient. And one evening, he called, and he said, Christy, what if we try to make this work? What if I come back? And I said, well, we won't know unless we try. I said, I know I, my heart's changed, and if you've you know, been searching your own heart and you've changed, all we can do is try and see. That's not going to hurt anything. And we talked for a long time that night, and finally he said, I'm not feeling good. I think I better go to bed And then the next morning is when I got the call that he was in the hospital. And I knew that that was my place. I needed to go be with him because that's the vow that I took in sickness and in health.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And now you guys have been married for 21 years. You've worked through it. That's incredible. Um, What are some guardrails? What are some things in your life that you guys have both put in place now after experiencing that? Just horrible stuff in your marriage. What are some things you've implemented now?
2: For me, um, definitely putting aside the nagging wife thing. There's a lot of things that wives can get uptight about and think they need to stay on top of their husband about. But it does no good at all. It does much better to be patient and loving and, and be joyful in all circumstances. Yeah. Um, the other thing was that I, he talked about men leading the home and he didn't so somebody had to i was perfectly capable of stepping up to the plate and doing it and now you know i realize he needs to lead and if i'm if i was always there leading taking over making the decisions then it never gave him the opportunity to learn how to do it to actually do it put it in place so just the perspective of stepping back and saying this might be a little thing our first the first time was when we decided to go visit my brother in Virginia and it, there was a terrible snowstorm and it was a little thing, but he decided we're going and I'm thinking we should not be going <laughs> and he's like, no, we're going. I need to make things right with your family too and hmm. and so I said, okay, and I didn't, you know, we're going all over the road and he's, we're going to keep going. We're not turning back. <laughs> oh, okay. Were you just
0: being pigheaded, to Be honest. Probably.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but even yeah. in little things, you know, if you, if. You as the wife have been the leader. Step back. You're not giving the husband, your husband, a chance to learn how to lead. Hmm. So step out of the picture and let him come up into the role that God has made him to be. Hmm. I think the other thing I wanted to share, too, is that if you are walking with the Lord, you have his spirit in you to guide and direct you. Those times when sexually I was not interested because I was sick and exhausted, you know, there are times like that when the father puts those, those moments in place to test and try you. And there are other times where you know in your, in your heart and in your mind that you should be there for your husband. You should step out of what you're comfortable in, and you should be there and do what will bring blessing to him. And if you hear that voice in your head saying, just serve your husband, just spend some time with him, and you ignore it, you're stepping out of those lines or you're hitting the rumble strips, so even in those moments of hearing the Holy Spirit and then actually being obedient and putting yourself aside to serve.
0: What about you, Johnny? What are some guardrails?
1: Well, I kind of talked about it a little bit already out of Exodus 20 with the with the Ten Commandments, and um, but but let's look at that again. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. We have to understand even even the single people. You have to understand if it's not your spouse, it's going to possibly be somebody else's spouse someday. Mm -hmm. Keep your hands off. Mm -hmm. That's pretty hard. I mean, it's a hard thing to say and a hard thing to receive, Mm -hmm. but that's the truth. It's going to be somebody else's spouse. That's one of the things we try to teach our children. Listen, this whole dating thing, there are parameters. There are lines, there are rumble strips, there are guardrails. If it's not your spouse, if it's not destined to be your spouse, maybe somebody else's. So keep your hands off. So that's, the, that's one of the big ones um, is just that, the following that principle of, of Exodus 20. Um, again when he mentioned about oh, don't look at my websites. If anybody wants to look at my phone, it's right there. She has free access to it anytime she wants it um, because I was that secret keeper. Like he said, when you go down that road you must become a secret keeper.
2: Mm-hmm. You have
1: to. And it's not healthy. And it does, it does not draw you. You talk about the triangle, drawing, your, drawing to God. It does not draw you to God. Mm-hmm. It's a slow process that takes you further and further away from the mark,
0: from where you should be. And I've had friends got really serious about this. I've had buddies that got rid of their smartphones and went to what we call dumb phones. Those old flip phones, you remember yeah. those? Some of us may still have dumb phones. But... Uh, they got serious. They're like, I cannot handle this. It's time for me to get rid of this. Maybe for some of us, that's what you need to do next.
1: Yeah, and actually, that's, that's the next thing I was going to talk about was in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who gazes at a woman lustily, lust after her, has committed adultery in, her heart, in his heart already with her. If you, the next thing he says is really interesting if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. It's better that you enter into eternal life maimed, blind, than to encounter certain death. Now, we don't pluck our eye out physically, but we can remove things from our life.
0: Yeah, we would have a lot of uh, Cyclops men in churches <laughs> walking around. <laughs> ah, I took the Bible literally, <laughs> man, my eyes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: so, so don't take it literally, necessarily, but... Do we need to get rid of the smartphone? I don't spend much time in front of the computer anymore, um, just sitting there mindlessly. If I have something to do, I do it, and it's done. Yeah.
0: No, that's good. Hey, this has taken a lot of courage for the Bovie's to come up and share this. Can we give them a hand and thank them for their testimony? <laughs> Praise team, you guys can make your way up as well. And I want to close with just a couple thoughts real quick. I want to close with three action steps for us here in their testimony. Number one, if you're struggling with this, this is for single people as well and married people. If you're struggling with this, number one, you got to talk about it with your loved one. You got to sit down and just talk about what's going on. You got to tell them exactly what's in your heart and what's happening. We have hard conversations. Studies have shown that when we go into a conversation with someone, we actually only speak 90% of what we want to say. The other 10% we don't say because it's too difficult. It may hurt the other person's feeling, and it may hurt us because we really just, I don't want to be awkward in this conversation. Here as staff at Radiant Life, we call those 10% talks. So I may go into someone's office and say, hey, can I have a 10% talk with you? And they know... It's going to be tough for them to hear, but they also know it's going to be tough for me to tell them what I have to say. And we have to have more 10% talks in our relationships. We have to be open and honest if we are truly going to flee from sexual immorality. And lastly, you can't beat it alone. you got to tell somebody. Outside of your loved one, outside of your boyfriend or girlfriend or your spouse, you have to have someone else in your life to say, hey, can you help me stay accountable I can't keep doing this. But one last question. God loves you so much, he's given you free will. Flee or flirt? And you may be sitting there going, Ryan, you know what? You are, just, this is a little too harsh. Well, let me ask you a question. Where in culture are you going to get the support and encouragement you need to stay on the road? Media? Television? Movies? Music? Where are you going to get that support that you need so badly in your relationships? Perhaps the only place is the church. So my question to you, flee or flirt? It's up to you. And do you really think five years from now, You're going to look back and say, man, I regret putting relational guardrails in my life. I guarantee you won't regret. Flee or flirt. The ball's in your court. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, this idea of intimacy and sexual immorality, it is such a tough topic. For a lot of us, we were brought back to places of hurt, places of pain. God, I just pray that your spirit would sweep over with grace and love in this moment. Father, I pray for those that are literally on the edge of a moral relationship failure. They are flirting with disaster, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would sweep in and cause an uneasiness to say, I can't do this. I pray you would give us strength to put guardrails up and make extreme measures in, my, in our lives because we know sexual sin is uniquely damaging. Father, we so desire for that one day when you decide that our time here on earth is done. And when we meet you face to face, if we hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You lived like my son Jesus to the world. That's our passion. So help us fight sexual immorality where it's creeping its ugly head in. And we rest in your power. And we ask this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.